This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Red alert. Sound the alarm. I got breaking news for you. Do you guys realize the movie, The Program, is just free on YouTube? Colin, did you know that? Like, if if you can afford to accept the audio issues, the picture quality is roughly that of the moon landing in the late 60s. But if you can sit through that, the program's just on YouTube. And I know many of you, especially my college age crowd, you probably don't even know what the program is. It is Hollywood's, in my opinion, best attempt at a college football movie. And it was made in the late 80s, early 90s, where you could still license actual teams. Iowa, Michigan, uh, Mississippi State, they're all in the movie. It's the height of the steroid era, and they lean into it. Like, what a quote from that coach, by the way. Guys, it's it's not hard to put on 35 pounds over the summer if you hit the gym, right? It's it's both a movie that's aged the best and the worst in history. There you go. That's my endorsement. The program, just on YouTube right now. Or if you have like $3.99, you could just rent it or buy it. But why rent when you could go free? This show's free, and we appreciate you watching. Jam-packed, high atop a curious downtown Nashville tonight. Sunday night, February 18th, the year of our Lord, 2024. Someone told us we should take a break today. The season is on hold. There is no offseason. And the way I know that is because we're jam-packed with, tonight, the biggest names in college football. Who are the biggest? I got 10 for you tonight. Saban retired. Is he still one of them? I think so. We're going to delve into that. I've got mystery teams for this upcoming year. I'm also talk to you about the best wide receivers in the sport this year. Uh, as we know, as you and I know, we have a 12-team playoff this year. And one of you suggested that I should put aside uh, my disagreement with what the format should be, except that there's going to be a 12-team playoff, and engineer what my perfect 12-team playoff would be this year. And I get full discretion. Who do I want in? What would be the most fun? I can apply all of my biases, and you guys know I have plenty because you accuse me of a new one every day. I'm both a lover and a hater of every team in America, aside from Iowa State. So we will do that tonight. Could Hugh Freeze resurrect Auburn this year? Is Florida State going to win this battle with the ACC? Imagine not talking about college football tonight. Look how much we have to discuss. They're watching us in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, Pine Mountain, Georgia is tuned in, as is Sholo, Arizona, and Springfield, Missouri. Make sure you're following on the socials, at Late Kick Josh, uh, for two reasons. Number one, I've got it on good authority we will be at a campus before the end of this month, and the month is already over halfway over. So the, uh, the Pate State Speaker Series is going to be hitting the road a lot sooner than anticipated. And also, just want a, a brief, very brief, like 10-second brief thank you for the 
vast network of sources that we have. Uh, some are on coaching staffs, some are in recruiting departments, some are in television networks, and we rely on you guys. We get a lot of information and uh, a lot of very, very worthwhile nuggets sent our way by people in all walks of this sport. Um, two things we'll never do. We will never sacrifice the integrity of your position. We'll never put you in harm's way. And honestly, we will also never put a program or the sport in harm's way. But what we do is we take that that truckload of info that we get and we try to build a better show with it. And we try and serve college football, actually, instead of ourselves with it. So anyway, I don't say thank you enough for that. I appreciate it because a lot of that sort of thing will be baked into a show like you'll see in here here tonight. So with that in mind, let's dive in. I asked a very innocent question earlier today. I went on the old socials and I just said, everyone gather around. <clears throat> what or who is the biggest name in the sport right now? And Colin, here's an endpoint for you. Who is the biggest name in college football right now? Very, very broad question. I'm not just talking players or just coaches. You can go anywhere you want to. I was thinking about this, and I, I put like 10 names down, just, just back to back to back. This is not an exhaustive list, and I guarantee the comment section is going to be lit up on this. Uh, Mike Norvell is one of the biggest names in college football to me. Mike Norvell, especially this upcoming year, they've got a chance at Florida State to cement that program as being back at the head table. Just say that out loud for a second. Not if you're a Kane or a Gator, but elsewhere. Say it out loud. Florida State being back at the head table of college football. It is my opinion, based on random straw polling of the college football public, that there's still a sizable chunk of folks out there who think last year was a good story, and Mike Norvell had a nice story down there, but they don't think Florida State's arrived. And that's okay. That's okay because it's been a little while. They've got a chance, led by that man, Mike Norvell, to make sure everyone understands. Like, there's no doubt. You don't leave it in the hands of a committee. They got a shot this year to make sure everyone understands. No, we're here to stay. When you mention Georgia, when you mention Ohio State, when you mention these other big boys, you're not going too far down that list before you also mention Florida State University, not in a given year, but for the foreseeable future. He's got a shot to make sure that that's the case. So he's a big name. I think Quinn Ewers at Texas, quarterback, is one of the biggest names in the sport right now. And it's his time. This dude skipped his senior year of high school, goes to Ohio State for what in baseball terms would be referred to as a cup of coffee. And then he goes to Texas. And then he's the starting quarterback at Texas, has some injury concern, uh, gets him to the playoff last year. And now if you were to write the movie, you know, this would be the year where he comes back and Texas wins it all. Texas wins the national championship in their first year in the SEC. Well, Sometimes that stuff happens. Sometimes it really goes down like that. What if it happened that way? He's the one who would be the trigger man behind it happening. If that happened, he'd be a legend. And of course, that fortifies his draft stock. So you got the individual story there. But also, it solidifies Steve Sarkeesian as one of the premier coaches in this sport, doing, frankly, in that scenario, what many of you think he and they can't do. More on that later. Uh, Texas has the third best odds to win that title you say they can't win this year, by the way. And so it would also solidify that Texas is back back. Because I know that there is a sizable contingent out there that don't believe you can be great unless you've won a national championship. I don't care if you're a women's basketball player or if you're a college football team. You know, can't. What if they won? 
Man, what what is she won? So, uh, yeah, if Texas, led by Quinn Ewers, wins it all this year, we don't have that debate anymore. Uh, Tony Petiti, the Big Ten commissioner, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, they absolutely belong in this conversation because you're talking about two guys there that for better or for worse are at the forefront of redefining and reshaping the landscape of not only college football but college athletics. Do you understand that the Arizona swim and dive team will – somehow, some way, have their future dictated by these two guys. Don't even ask me to explain the ripple effect, pool terminology. Don't ask me to explain how that would happen, because it is very much butterfly effect, like college football version or college athletics version. But those two will be in the spotlight for the foreseeable future, but especially this year, maybe even this week. I mean, those folks are meeting about a lot of very, very heavy things this week. What about DeAnton Lynn? You know who that is? I don't think a lot of you know who that is right now. DeAnton Lynn was the DC at UCLA last year, and now he just went across town to USC. This is a very important name. Really big name in the sport this year, DeAnton Lynn, because he symbolizes an entire philosophical redirect by Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley, uh, you know, has done it his way for a long time, and he's had a fair amount of success, but he's also self-imposed a lower ceiling on what his program can accomplish because they have been very porous defensively. Okay, so you could do one of two things. You can either keep playing pinball every year and putting up big numbers, but know that eh, we're never really going to have the longevity. We're like the old school Phoenix Suns. may score 120, 130 a night. We're never doing anything in the postseason of note. Or you can look in the mirror and say, I'm still a young coach. I could still change this thing. I know I know offense, but offense doesn't win championships. No one ever says that. We've got to have a more complete and complementary football team. And so Lincoln Riley decided to make several changes. Now, thus far, all we know is they've been verbalized. We haven't seen it. We haven't seen them tackle better. We haven't seen them up their percentage of stop rate on third down. But we do know doing it the old way, it was never going to happen. So He goes and he gets Lynn, but he also, Lincoln Riley being the he, also vocalizes that I intend for this to be a much, a part of a much broader shift philosophically in my program. I'm in the wait and see mode on that with, you see these fingers crossed. If you're listening on podcast, I promise you they're crossed. Mr. USC hater here, JP, very hopeful that USC can get it turned around. It almost seems like sometimes I don't actually hate these programs. I just get a sneaking suspicion I'm not as big a hater as I've been accused. Uh, Let's stick with the defensive coordinator position. Another one of the biggest names in the sport this year, Blake Baker. He was the D.C. at Missouri last year. And then Brian Kelly looked and said, well, we couldn't stop molasses in December. They did a much better job. Respectfully, we're LSU, they're Missouri. Let's just go hire him. And hired Baker, hired Kevin Peoples uh, from Missouri as well. LSU with a top 30 defense may very well have won a national title last year. Do you remember back in, I guess, August when we were ramping up for the season or July when it was media days season? You know, LSU had a very, very formidable Heisman campaign out there, but it wasn't for Jaden Daniels. It was for Perkins. It was for Harold Perkins. They were touting a defensive guy, rightfully so, if you're talking about raw potential, as their preseason Heisman contender. 
and they had a guy win the Heisman. And it wasn't even him. It wasn't even that side of the ball. Nothing about LSU's defense was ever going to win a collective or individual award last year. Well, that's unacceptable. Especially at LSU, it's unacceptable. You talk about LSU having one of the premier offenses in the country, and they can't get anywhere because they can't stop the pass, because they can't stop the run, they can't get after the quarterback enough, that can't be LSU. Brian Kelly knows that. And so Blake Baker's got to be a big part of turning that around. So I'll leave you an open-ended question here. A little open-ended fill-in-the-blank, I guess. Uh, Forget about 2023. We're done with that. LSU with a top 30 defense in 2024 does what? Fill-in-the-blank. Have fun with that. Look at that schedule. You got UCLA coming in there, actually, don't they? Got USC and UCLA in the first month of the season. That's that's, that's your out-of-conference scheduling these days. Who knows? In the not-too-distant future, maybe there'll be conference games for all I know. Nick Saban? This is not a 2023 list, by the way. Nick Saban's clearly still one of the biggest names in college football. He's still going to be a dominant voice in the sport. I would argue with his spot on game day and his freedom to speak however he wants to now with no consequence because he can't hurt his team anymore, I would argue more people than ever will hear him. It used to be Nick Saban would say something and we'd pick up on it. Like you're a hardcore college football fan if you're watching or listening. You picked up on it, but the general public, the casual crowd didn't pick up on it. They weren't paying attention to a Tuesday afternoon press conference in Tuscaloosa, but they will be. This is no knock on the game day crowd. I love college game day, but they will be watching that. And the way that ESPN makes sure that that show and its contents are distributed worldwide, I think Saban, especially in his most candid moments, will be heard now more than he ever has before. And he'll have more freedom to speak on bigger issues. He'll have more freedom to speak on more teams. I mean, when were you going to hear? Think about if Saban was retired last year. Nick Saban could just openly discuss LSU's defensive struggles, USC's defensive struggles. You were never going to hear him say that as the acting head coach at Alabama, but you can now. So I think Nick Saban, obviously, that's not even to mention a lot of the -the off-the-field stuff that that has a chokehold like a vice grip on the sports conversation right now, he'll be instrumental in all that. A guy that he coached last year is Caleb Downs. I think Caleb Downs is one of the biggest names in college football this year. Caleb Downs, I'll tell you how I think of him as a player. He's walking into Columbus, Ohio. That is home to Ohio State and one of the most loaded rosters in college football. And I think he may be the best football player, position for position, on their team the moment he steps on campus. And they're not without premier playmakers. Even on that side of the ball, they're not without them. I just think that highly of Caleb Downs. And I think Ohio State season this year will come down to making a couple of stops in a couple of key games, forcing a turnover in a key game. It's the way it has been for them. It's the way it will be this year. When you take number two, who in this B-roll is in crimson, and you put him on the field, I don't think there's an accurate way to quantify how many points he's worth. I know Vegas odds makers try. You know my feeling that certain high-level defensive players are undervalued, chronically undervalued by handicappers and odds makers because there is no odds maker worth his salt who would tell you a starting safety is worth more than a quarter of a point or maybe a half a point in a game. That's if Ed Reed is back out there. I think in certain situations they're worth way more than that. That's just me personally. And if I'm right, Caleb Downs is one of them. Uh, He's only a true sophomore. 
by the way. Um, if you were to create a player, which you're about to be able to do on that video game again, that's what one looks like. And Ohio State's got him now. He's going to be a very, very impactful player on a Jim Knowles defense that elevated last year. But I can tell listening to Ryan Day this upcoming year, he believes they can again win defensive slugfests if they need to. And also, sounds like I'm making another downs point. I'm just moving on now. Also, kind of my last thought on the biggest names, but there are two names, Cade Klubnick and Garrett Riley at Clemson, quarterback and offensive coordinator respectfully. Respectively, I, I do respect them as well. These are huge names in college football this year because you've got a question lingering right now in both the ACC collectively and Clemson specifically about whether this is FSU's conference now or whether last year was you know sort of a blip on the radar screen but maybe Clemson can still restore order or maybe, just maybe, their time has come and passed. These are all open-ended as well. We don't know. These two names will go a long way in deciding that. Because I don't think anyone's about to sit here and watch Clemson hang eight or nine wins and quote-unquote that's all again this year and say, oh, don't worry, it's just temporary. I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't feel that way. And so if Garrett Riley in year two doesn't have uh, or continue to have a significant uptick in offensive production, if Cade Klubnick cannot play up to what we believe is his full potential – and Clemson is, again, hitting that under. They're over-under right now at FanDuel's nine-and-a-half wins. If they go under again, if they're a nine-win team or an eight-win team or worse, well, then, you know, it's probably due in large part to them not separating enough and not being able to pull away in games against teams that are inferior roster-wise. But it doesn't matter when the matchups dictate that you can't get separation off the line at receiver, you can't make big catches on third down, then... You end up in a lot of shootouts where the guys in the desert favored you by 10 or 11 points that morning, and I think that those two names are some big ones there. A lot of big names in the ACC this year. Look, I don't think that's going to be an exhaustive list. The more I went through that, the more I thought there are like 150 names that I still want to go through, because I was scrolling through a lot of what you guys said earlier today. I mean, look, someone, I, I mean, I, seriously now, I asked who are the, what is the biggest name in college football this year? Someone just said Luther Burden. And I'm going to talk about Luther Burden later in the show. Premier wide receiver at Missouri. I'm just trying to give you a flavor for how diverse the answers were. I had like a thousand responses or replies. So uh, we got a long way to go. A lot of meat left on that bone. So we're just going to put it in the fridge. We're going to put that segment in the fridge and we'll pull it back out. Oh, speaking of food, Jesse, Colin, I didn't tell you this. You know, I went out to eat last night, and, you know, normally, folks like us, fast food drive through right? But management invited us out to eat, me and the lady last night. We go out to eat with management, and it's exactly as you would expect. You know, he's, he's uh, grabbed one of the Teslas from the garage, drove it all the way downtown, by the way, from areas south of town where folks like that live, and you know, trying to impress you with different styles of caviar he can name. It was just that kind of night. Take a whiff of the wine cork. It's just that kind of night. And I'm better for it. I'm not going to tell you I'm doing it every weekend, but I'm better for it. Um, I, I, take, I, I take those figurative bullets so you guys don't have to. For the betterment of the show, I'm in the trenches taking grenades for all of us on nights like last night. 
So you don't have to tell me thank you. I'm still going to tell you you're welcome. We're going to a 12-team playoff this year. I'm not a fan of it, but let's let bygones be bygones on that front, and let's just talk about this. So, Colin, there we go. And, Colin, here's the end point, because I mispronounced bygones, and I don't want that in the individual video. Larry hit me up and said, I know how much you hate the playoff has expanded, but I want to know, how good could it end up being? What would be the perfect 12-team playoff in your eyes for next season? So Larry's right. I'm not the biggest fan of this, but Larry is also right in saying, I need to suck it up because we're there. So Larry's saying, put your own personal feelings aside, except that there's 12 teams. What would the perfect playoff be? And I guess Larry's given me freedom to draw it up however I want to. So I tried this for like 30 minutes and it was like eating dog food to me. Not the dry kind that secretly can sometimes smell okay. That's a little hidden caveat in this entire segment. Like, there's some dry dog food that does not smell terrible. The canned stuff is, is horrific. But dry dog food, much like certain brands of Play-Doh, does not smell that bad. If we're being real with ourselves. Anyway, I tried. I couldn't do it. So I outsourced this segment to producer Jesse. And I said, Jesse, you like this stuff. Bring me a perfect playoff. And he took 10 or 15 minutes, brought me a playoff. I only had to make one change to it. And so we got some new blood in this playoff. Uh, and that's what I would like, by the way. I want, in this 12-team setup, some elite first-round matchups. I guess we could call it the campus round. We go like campus round, quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. I'd want that. I'd, we're going to assume a 5-7 format. Right now they have the whole six auto bids for conference champs, six at-large spots. We think it's going to go to 5-7 which is still lame, but whatever. We need some good stories here, but I also want the big boys at the end of the day. I want to see the premier rosters playing for a title. So here's what we did. Jesse came to me and said, how's this? And I said, not too bad. Very rare to hear from me. Not too bad. So the one through 12, forget about the top four. I actually want to show you who our five through 12 would be first because you got four first-time teams in the playoff here. You'd have Miami as our 10 seed. Uh, we got Penn State there as the 8 seed. Liberty is there as the 12 seed. And we got Ole Miss as the 11 seed. So the full 5 through 12, Texas, Oregon, Tennessee, Penn State, Alabama, Miami, Ole Miss, and Liberty. Do you know what this means? Just looking at this right now, you already know that means you're seeing home campus playoff games at Penn State, at LSU, well, Tennessee, that's where we switched it. I, I just wanted to insert Tennessee because Tennessee hasn't been there yet. We would have Ole Miss at Oregon, Miami at Tennessee, Liberty at Texas, and Bama at Penn State. That Bama at Penn State game is insane for a first-round game, and it's in Beaver Stadium. It's like, can you white out a playoff game? I don't know. Are there rules here? I have no idea. Neyland Stadium, we were there for the Bama game two years ago. That's not a playoff game. Honestly, I don't think you can get better than what we saw two years ago, but we would have that. Okay, so here's what we're going to pick. We're going to take Bama over Penn State. We're going to take Oregon over Ole Miss. We're taking Tennessee over Miami, and we're taking Texas over Liberty. Then we get to what we would call the quarterfinal round, and that's where we reveal our top four seeds. Top four seeds, let's make it Georgia as the one seed, winning the SEC, obviously, Ohio State wins the Big Ten. They're the number two seed. Utah, and I'll get back to this in a second. Utah, 
wins the Big 12. Yeah, first year in the Big 12, walk right in and grab the crown. They're the three seed. Florida State wins the ACC. They're the four seed. Now, I want you to imagine this, because we don't know how this is going to shake out yet, but just start to familiarize yourself with the way the seeding works. Utah gets that third seed and a first round bye because they're a conference champ. So it does not matter how good Texas was in this scenario or how good Tennessee was or Bama was. If they didn't win the conference, doesn't matter if Vegas tells you they'd be a two-touchdown favorite against Utah. They're going to be ranked behind them. I don't – look, like I told you, there are 50 different flaws that I have with this system, uh, this being one of the biggest ones. Auto bids in general are pathetic to me. If you need special carve-outs to make sure you get access to a 12-team playoff, you didn't belong in the playoff. That's my feel. But whatever, they, they didn't consult me, as they seldom do on these matters. So with those first four, and given the matchups that we gave you in the first round, we're looking at, and these are all neutral sites, because God forbid we play two rounds of home playoff games, Bama versus Georgia, Texas versus Florida State, Tennessee versus Ohio State, Oregon versus Utah. And by the way, Bama-Georgia play in the regular season. For all we know, they played in Atlanta as well. This could be their third matchup. Nothing like college football, man. Three matchups in a year. Texas-Florida State would be wild because that's Florida State's shot. Okay, they had a first-round bye. That's their shot. They get to go up against the big boy. They're in the playoff, by the way. In the playoff. And they're facing Texas. And you got Mike Norvell, Steve Sarkeesian. What about that next matchup? You got Chip Kelly as the new offensive coordinator at Ohio State facing Heupel. One of the best just individual back and forths, Tennessee versus Ohio State, Oregon, Utah, Pac-12 Pate would have a tear in the eye uh, remembering what once was. Oregon versus Utah also would be a very, very big challenge for Dan Lanning and his staff against Utah and that staff. You want to have some fun, go check out total experience on coaching staffs find one with more than Utah. Those dudes have been around forever. I've been forced, excuse me, I've had the privilege of watching the Hobbit movies, a precursor to the Lord of the Rings movies lately. Jesse, the old dude with the beard all the way down to the ground, what's his name? Wizard Hat? Gandalf, yeah, thank you. Can't believe I forgot that name. Everybody on Utah's staff is like Gandalf. That's how old and wise they are. It's really hard to beat those kind of teams. So anyway, let's take uh, Georgia over Bama. Let's take FSU over Texas. That's an upset. I think that would be an upset. But remember, we get to write this however we want to. So we're going to take Florida State over Texas, Oregon over Utah, Ohio State over Tennessee, and we get to the semifinals, and we got Florida State, Georgia. And you know what's beautiful about that? We get to sort of do the OU Texas thing. Two years ago, Texas beats Oklahoma into a coma, 49-0. One year later, Oklahoma beats them outright. And you find out, eh, the gaps really are never as wide as they look. Well, Georgia just splattered Florida State all over Miami like last month. 63-3 to was the final. We'd get to see them one year later. We get to see Mike Norvell and Florida State take a shot at Georgia one year later. Oregon versus Ohio State. I, uh, I inserted myself here because I do... Um, I look to subvert this process at every turn. I picked Oregon versus Ohio State because, number one, it would be really entertaining. But, number two, 
it's possible this is the third time these teams have played. Somehow, some way, I want us to go ahead and just face that possibility head on in year one because it is a terminal flaw in this entire system, the fact that teams could play three times in one year. Ohio State goes to Oregon in the regular season. There are no divisions in the Big Ten anymore, so that means they could very well face in the Big Ten championship game, and they could both get in the playoff and face off again, who knows what round. Uh, So I'd like to go ahead and get that out of the way so people can watch it and say, well, this is a little messed up, and see if they actually do anything about it. Ryan Day and Chip Kelly in that matchup, against Dan Lanning and his staff, and then we, we pick the winners. I'm taking Georgia over FSU. I'm taking Ohio State over Oregon so that I can get two of the premier rosters in the sport. Not that the others would have lacked, but I'm getting two of the premier rosters in the sport. Georgia's seeking their third title in four years. If they win it, that's the story. If Ohio State wins it, Ryan Day finally does what I've been dutifully informed he can't do, and that is win the big one and win a national championship. And also that matchup, Ryan Day and Chip Kelly versus Kirby and Glenn Schumann and Will Muschamp and the 47 other former coordinators and head coaches Kirby has there, that would be must-see TV. So you see, even after all that, what did we wind up with? The one seed versus the two seed. And what I would love is a lot of entertainment, But once the dust settles, you and I look and say, wait a second, you mean we wound up with the same championship game that the BCS would have given us so that I can sit here and grin and say, yup, told you. That doesn't sound like me, of course. I'd rarely say something like that. But be that as it may, uh, according to producer Jesse, that's the perfect playoff. And I, I largely, given the circumstances, agree. It's a pretty good year one. Now, let's get to matters that are more immediately at hand. Many, many, many of you are watching live, first off, so thank you. And uh, make sure, just typing hi in the live chat so you know we're live. Uh, Make sure also you subscribe to the channel. And this is the time of year where it's imperative that you just look around. You know, if you got a best friend over, you know, if you're hanging out with your dad and you see that they left their cell phone out, do the right thing log in and subscribe on their accounts and then just put the phone down. Don't order anything on Amazon, um, paystatematerial.com if you need to order something, if you're that kind of person. But otherwise, you know, be, be a good parent, be a good son, be a good neighbor, be a good friend. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's happening with Florida State versus the ACC? This is not a matchup that is scheduled on the field, but it is a matchup happening in the courts, which largely will dictate where Florida State ends up playing in the possibly near future. Could Florida State be out of the ACC much sooner than anyone has told you they could? Now, there's a lot of boring stuff that happened this past week. Here's basically what you need to know. Florida State is suing the ACC to try and get out of the grant of rights blah, blah, blah. They're imprisoned until like forever if they don't get out of it. The ACC 
is clinging to that grant of rights and saying, uh, no, you guys signed your name to this. You're here as long as it dictates you're going to be here. And if, if you don't want that to be the case, you've got to pay us a whole lot of money. And then this past week in court, there was maybe an amicable third way out of this. And uh, that, I think, delves a little bit into minutiae. I know a lot of my Florida State brethren are really in the weeds and dialed in on this. That's okay. But if you live in Bozeman, Montana, if you live in Malibu, California, yeah, there's a lot of legal wrangling going on right now. I think it's important when we talk about this whole FSU versus ACC thing and whether they'll get out to remember one of Meemaw's golden axioms. And that is when the right people are motivated for change in college athletics, change happens in college athletics. So we got to ask ourselves, are the right people motivated for change to happen right here? You've all already got the ACC pretty dug in. Dug in like an Alabama tick, as former Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura would say. And then you have Florida State in another corner, and they want out. Then, very seldom mentioned, although they should be, is ESPN. Over in this shadowy third corner over here, ESPN actually holds all the cards here. And there are mechanisms in this grant of rights, which, by the way, you'll notice isn't in PDF form anywhere on the internet because you don't have access to it. You got a lot of secondhand intel as to what that thing says, but there's a reason you don't have access to it. It's not publicly available. If it were, and if all the details and all the cards were on the table, you would know, man, there's a lever on that wall that ESPN could pull in the next couple of years at their leisure that pretty much hits the dump button on all this. I don't know if they plan on doing it. I know that they probably know whether they plan on doing it or not. And as you think through all that, also remember this. If Florida State is able to get out of this, and I believe ultimately they'll find a way, one way or another, they'll find a way, they're not leaving alone. Because while one hand is snapping and, and one hand's uh, shining a bright, flashy object in your face over here, you know good and well Clemson's paying attention and moving behind the scenes. You know North Carolina is. You know Virginia Tech is. You know Miami is. North Carolina is. You really think those folks are sitting there saying, huh, I wonder if Florida State's going to get out and leave us behind. They're not getting left behind. Now, it may be the Big Ten. It may be the SEC. It may be the Big 12. It, whatever. They're not getting left behind. So you just wonder. We saw recently what happened to the Pac-12. You just wonder if the ACC could be the next conference to just kind of fade off into the abyss. I am not speaking in final, or kind of final terms here. I'm not. I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. I think, um, I think the way it's being presented right now is just this FSU versus ACC, ACC versus FSU. I think there are more powerful parties in the room than just those two. And uh, they're quiet for a reason. But I also think that this has come to a head. It's not coming to a head. It has come to a head. And I, everybody who's smart around the ACC and Florida State that I speak to seems to think that it's semantics for us uh, because they're going to be gone one way or another. Now, it's not semantics for everyone because whether you got to write a nine-figure check or not, that's not semantics. That's hardcore. That's management money is what it is. But someone's going to write the check if they have to, or maybe they don't have to. But as you'll notice, in either of those scenarios, A and B, Florida State's gone. That's all we care about. 
Where do they go? Don't know. Where do the other schools go? Don't know. Tune in next week, I guess. Let's move it along. How, how exciting. You know, if you're a hardcore fan that only cares about the on the field, we've got plenty in the show for you tonight. If you don't care at all about the on the field, we've got plenty in the show for you tonight. If you don't even care about football and you just like to watch car crashes, we got stuff in the show for you tonight. Got, got a little something for everyone. America's College Football Buffet, here to serve, live to serve over here. Who are the mystery teams in college football this year, you may be wondering, and if you are, I got four of them for you. Texas A&M certainly has to fit here. I feel like I said this virtually every year under Jimbo Fisher, and I was right. They were very mysterious under Jimbo. Mike Elko walks in, and it feels like a lot has changed, and not much has changed. A lot is changing about the team, not much is changing in the way we refer to them, because I'm still calling them a mystery team. They've still got a top 10 talent roster with all the guys who have left and all the other guys who have come in. Healthy Connor Wigman this year? Yeah, yeah, at quarterback, maybe. You know, it's not just Mike Elko who came in, by the way. Colin Klein, new offensive coordinator there by way of Kansas State. Big name, big name. Probably still underrated. I just think he's underrated by fans. I don't think he's underrated by coaches. I mean, Saban, I I know good and well, Saban had him in Tuscaloosa interviewing him for the OC job last year at Alabama. Don't know whether he got that solid offer, but he interviewed for it. So he's been on major radars and Mike Elko got him. Uh, I was talking to someone pretty close to that program and I was asking them about specifics. I wanted specific intel on specific players. And they said, that'll come in due time. They said, here's all you need to do. Watch how they play for him. I'm talking about Mike Elko. And I said, I get where you're going there. Continue. And they said, no, 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 that's it. Just watch how they play for him. And it probably wasn't the biggest secret in the world that there was not a strong adhesive between Jimbo Fisher and his locker room. Jimbo Fisher's pretty old school. And his approach was, we get him on campus and it's my job to coach and run the program. It's their job to perform on Saturday. And we need to provide them with, you know, everything they need to develop, which is true. You know, on, on a piece of paper, those are your duties as head coach. But when it comes down to margins and inches and getting one more yard and winning one more uh, series, and you need guys not to go to the edge of the cliff, but over the edge for you, it really helps if they have a connection with you. Those guys didn't have that with Jimbo. They will have it with Mike Elko, is what I'm trying to tell you. And I think, of, uh, I think a bunch of folks around College Station sense that. I think the SEC will come to understand that. Maybe they won't get why, but I think they'll look at the pride and performance of folks on the field at Texas A&M, and they'll probably find themselves saying, just something a little different about that program out there in Maroon. I wonder what it is. I think that'll be what it is. Uh, Wisconsin? Yeah, Wisconsin, big mystery team in 2024. They were 7-6 and six last year. It was a lot of internal transition. First-year staff going from Paul Chris to Luke Fickle. That's understandable. Um, their key offensive numbers were not good enough. So they were in the 60s and the 70s in terms of national rankings and the key offensive metrics. And so now they've brought in Tyler Van Dyke at quarterback, transferred in from Miami. They're 20th in returning production. They return 70% of a top 40 defense. And it's year two in Luke Fickle, uh, under Luke Fickle, and I don't think there are ever guarantees in this sport, but I feel very, very comfortable 
embedding on a program year two under that guy and under his staff. Real deal. Luke Fickle's the real deal. They play at USC. They got Bama at home. Early in the year, Wisconsin plays Bama at home. They got Penn State at home. They got Oregon at home. So, yeah, it'd be great if Wisconsin were to make a surprise run to Indianapolis. But even if they don't, look at how many trips they could interrupt towards going to the Big Ten championship game. Arizona. We got to talk about Arizona as one of the uh, biggest mystery programs and teams in the sport this year. So Arizona finished the year last year about as hot as anyone. They, what, Jesse, they won their final seven games. And then Jed Fish left. And he's the head coach at Washington now. And so the initial concern, shared by me as well, was their entire roster was going to leave through the transfer portal. And some of them did. But some of the key guys stayed. Noah Fafita, namely at quarterback, stayed. And so Tez McMillan, or Ted McMillan, who we'll talk about later at receiver, stayed. It's over a 1,000-yard guy last year. So Brent Brennan came in from San Jose State. They're top 50 in returning production. They're at Kansas State week three. They're at Utah in week four. So kind of like Wisconsin. Yeah, Arizona could surprise people and make a run at the Big 12 championship, but even if they don't, they have a shot at disrupting uh, sort of the balance of power in that conference this year. And uh, one more team I wanted to talk to you about is Syracuse. Hoomst! Yes, Syracuse, led by Fran Brown, just took over as head coach. There was an immediate boom, just an uptick in portal activity, in recruiting, and they got Kyle McCord at quarterback by way of Ohio State. So, if I were to say, just for example, Kyle McCord will be the best quarterback in the ACC this year, you would laugh. You would say, no, no. And maybe you're right. But my question is, who will be definitively better? Not, not who had more stars next to their name in high school or anything like that. I mean, who will be definitively better? Who would you bet your life? That's a little strong. Who would you bet your next paycheck on definitively being better than McCord? Are you that confident in what DJ Uyangalale is going to do at Florida State? Are you that supremely confident in what Kay Klubnik will be this year? I'm not telling you McCord's going to run the block or anything like that. I'm telling you, he may be very competitive in that all-ACC voting towards the end of the season. And if they get production like that, they, um, they have a schedule that's very interesting. So the out-of-conference, Ohio, Holy Cross, UConn, and UNLV could go 3-1, 4-0 there. They could. They also do not play Clemson. They do not play Florida State. There's no Louisville. There's no North Carolina. There's no SMU. They face two teams with preseason over-under win totals of eight or more. Two teams. And they'll be on no one's radar. And they could be this year's Louisville, a team that is not on national radars, but by way of having a kind of a first-year staff flash on the scene with a workable schedule. It's like you're looking up in November and saying, wait a second, what's Syracuse doing here? No, couldn't be us. We're talking about it in February. They're watching us in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. They're watching us in Starkville, Mississippi. And they're watching us in Davenport, Florida. Thank you guys so ever much. We do it all year round. There is no, um, 
There's no recharge. There's no off season. Almost said it around here. So I appreciate you guys because of you watching and listening in the numbers that you do. Management just says, yeah, do the show all year. And we do. Take a sip from the chalice. Excuse me. And we continue with a very important question. Well, more a statement. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll present it and then I'll ask what you remember about something last year. So I asked what the biggest story will be in 2024, according to you guys. War Eagle Weekly, guess where they went with this one? They said Hugh Freeze will revive Auburn football this year. What do you remember last year? If I were to ask you and give you five seconds to respond, what do you remember about Auburn last year? Because I think people remember they were six and seven. They got blasted in the Music City Bowl, I think, uh, by Maryland. Yeah, 31-13. There it is. Thank you, Colin. Do you remember that they led Georgia in the fourth quarter? Do you remember they led Alabama in the fourth quarter? They pushed Georgia and Bama uh, to the brink more so than almost anyone else did. Obviously, Alabama ended up you know, losing to Michigan. Uh, Bama lost to Texas. But, but by and large... Auburn and Auburn ran for over 200 on both of them. It's just kind of weird. In an otherwise very below average season, they just signed a top 10 class. I think the number 10 class. So if you were to tell me that Hugh Freeze revives Auburn this year, my first question, of course, would be how do you define revival? What is eight wins, nine wins, 10 wins? What do we have to see? You'll know it when it happens, I think is my answer. It's like the Supreme Court justice back in the 60s when they were talking about certain unmentionable things. And he said, hey, man, I just know it when I see it. I'm not going to define it for you. I just know it when I see it. Well, an Auburn revival. I'm not going to define it. I'll just know it when I see it. Quarterback, of course, it's going to be a major thing to watch for them this year. Peyton Thorne. I've got Walker White in there now. Um, you know, everyone always says, we'll see what they do after spring. And that's true. It's true. Do we think they're going to go get a quarterback after spring that starts? Hardly anyone does that. So I, I, until further notice, I'm just going to assume they have to work with what they have to work with. I'm actually not focused on that so much. So there's going to be plenty of time to talk about quarterback position, position at Auburn. I'm more focused on program stability at Auburn because I think there's a fork in the road this year and things could go one of two ways pretty drastically. I think there's absolutely a path where – Hugh Freeze gets it all figured out, and maybe they don't win 11 games this year, but you look at them come season's end and you say, he's got that thing figured out, and watch what they do in 2025 and beyond. You could find yourself saying that. I could find myself saying that. You could also look at them, and everything feels wobbly about the program, and by November, they've already lost four games, and you're saying something just seems off. I don't know what it is. Well, what it would be is the fact that it's a very pivotal but also delicate time. And he, Hugh Freeze, has had to make some staff moves there. And there is a lot of, I don't want to call it drama. I'll just call it some uneasiness behind the scenes down there. It's nothing that has to be detrimental, um, but it could be something that shakes the program. That's why I said it's fork in the road time. A fork in the road is quite literally that. You come to it. Now, after you're already gone by it, you've chosen your course. I don't think they're there at Auburn yet. That's what the 2024 season, in many ways, I think will be. Um, candidly, I have 
I have circled Auburn on our speaker series trip this upcoming spring because I want to make it a point to be down there. Like, I want to go sit in front of Hugh Freeze. I want to get him on the show. And I, I forget me. I want you to hear it come from his mouth because he's dealing with the same kind of stuff down there that many a coach before him has dealt with, even though he's shown he knows how to win before. Everybody has to shift philosophically. In this day and age, however long this this little window we're in last, where you have to build rosters the way that you do. And also think about what he inherited and, and think about how combustible things were around the program. And there were some guys who he retained on his staff that have since moved on. There's always stuff going on behind the scenes in major college football programs that if you knew about it, you think to yourself, wow, how do they even keep it on track? Hey, I got news for you. The teams that win championships have that stuff going on behind the scenes. It's not just the team struggling to keep their head above water record-wise. So uh, fork in the road season for Auburn this year. I could absolutely see a path where Hugh Freeze, man, writes the ship, and they're right there in SEC championship contention next year. I could see that. I could also see a path where they're miles and miles from that. And I, I don't know that there's a whole lot of skill in predicting which way they go. That's about as fence-riding a statement as I'll make. And I'm good at it, especially in February, but I really don't have a feel for Auburn right now. Wish I did, but I do not. Let's move it along. This is a good question. Uh, who asked this question, Jesse, this, this portal versus recruiting? Okay, so <clears throat> everybody's got a feeling on this. I, I would imagine we'll have a very spirited comment section on this one. Solomon from Little Rock, Arkansas asked, what do you think is the best way to balance the transfer portal and recruiting in today's college football? Some teams are going all in on one or the other while others are doing a more mixed approach. Is there a way that you think is best? So uh, Solomon did not do it this way, but a lot of people have really strong definitive takes on this. And I think it's too new. I think this stuff is so new that even, even guys who had a very, very established way of doing it as recently as last year have probably overhauled like 30% of that. I know some of them have, have expressed that, and then others, you can just observe it, and you can see that, hey, man, they're second-guessing some things. That's totally normal. It's new. Uh, foreign territory. So everyone's figuring it out at the same time. That's the good news. The good news is they didn't try this out in one conference for a decade, and then all of a sudden it gets introduced in your conference. It got dropped in everyone's lap. So everyone's trying to figure it out. Now, you got some very notable examples right now. Dave Aranda at Baylor's one of them. Aranda, as recently as two years ago, is the talk of college football, and he wins the Big 12 championship, and he's, he's got his name at the forefront of every premier coaching list in college football, and then all of a sudden, they fall off a cliff. We did program rankings the other night. We, we don't even have them top 10 in the Big 12 right now, and he's making staff moves out there, but what Aranda is is brutally honest about himself, and he has admitted publicly, I just didn't take transfer portal serious. And I was wrong. I mean, that's not the way to do it. And it's not that we're ever going to build through the portal, but we, we erred in judgment initially. And now we're trying to rectify that. Now, if that was Kirby Smart at Georgia, you can fix that really quick. It's harder to have quick fixes at places like Baylor. So a few beliefs that I've sort of gathered on this thing, none of these are written in Sharpie. They're all written in pencil, but I think if you live in the portal, you'll eventually die. But I think if you try and ignore the portal completely, 
you'll also either die or you'll starve your program and deny its ability to reach its full potential. I think you've got to be sure to define the same critical factors and characteristics in the portal as you do recruiting high school kids. Because what makes no sense in the world is if you've got 13 critical factors that you need checked before you offer a defensive back out of high school, but you got one who's, who's playing for Arizona State right now, or you got one transferring from Cal right now, they only check five of them, but you just offer him anyway. That makes no sense. And especially if you're cutting corners on what you expect in terms of character, you know, the neck up traits, in exchange for, you know, just feeling like you fortified your locker room, just writing a name on the grease board, that uh, is a shortcut to very, very detrimental outcomes internally. And a lot of teams experienced that last year. I don't think I need to explain to you because I think you can see it play out on the field in the fall who experienced that. Also, this is where I'm hopeful. I think this is all a window. I don't think this is just the way it's going to be. I think uh, maybe, maybe three years down the road, maybe seven years down the road, we will all, coaches and fans alike, look back on this period and say, can you believe what this sport was for a few years? And then 20 years from now, it'll be documentary material that for a little while, it's like the new Coke era of college football. Google it if you don't know what that is. All of a sudden, the greatest sport in the world decided to change everything about itself. And we had to live with it for a few years, just like the folks at Coca-Cola had the highest selling soft drink in the entire universe and said, you know what we need to do? Change it. We need to change it. Who wants Coke anymore? Well, it turned out a lot of people did. College football. College football wasn't perfect, but it had things pretty well figured out for a long time. And then all of a sudden, the wrong people got their hands on the wheel and things got really crooked. And we're speaking in 2030 at this point in this scenario. We get to look back on it at that point, 2040, 2050, and say, can you believe there was this five or six or seven year window where there were no rules and everyone just did whatever they wanted to do? So hold on, classic Wilson Phillips protocol here. Just hold on for one more day or one more year or a few more years. It hasn't changed, though. It, it, it both has and hasn't changed because it's completely changed how a new staff approaches walking in the door. Mike Elko at Texas A&M, Fran Brown at Syracuse, perfect examples of how that can impact what you're able to do. Mike Norvell's done it at Florida State. So when you're new on the job, it used to be you may have to burn the entire thing down and start from scratch, and you got to have three years minimum patience. And now you can just fortify through the portal and, and let's supplement while we try and get our recruiting infrastructure in place. But as much as it's changed how a new staff can immediately go about their job, it has not changed how that same staff ultimately wants to build. That same staff, if they have any clue what they're doing, still wants to build through high school recruiting. Because the thing you want to do is you want to define who you are, and then you want to go find kids that fit who you are and get three or four years with them because you cannot engineer a kid through a microwave in two or three weeks to be what you want them to be. That's why culture is still a buzzword, because it's a real thing. It matters. You don't get to microwave. 
it's illegal to microwave a kid, literally, and it's still a bad idea to do it figuratively. It's just not the way it works. So, yeah, they can be cherries on top. They better not be the cupcake. You better still build the cupcake through high school ingredients, and then you can put those, you can put those transfer sprinkles on top if you want to. A transfer cupcake. Portal cupcakes. Hmm. Cannot wager on that at FanDuel. But you can wager on pretty much everything else at FanDuel. They are the exclusive odds provider of Late Kick and Pate State. We appreciate them. We don't have ads in our stadium at Pate State. But if we did, FanDuel would be there. Um, we're an independent, so it doesn't matter what the commissioner says because we don't have one. But our partners there at FanDuel, periodically throughout the show, you'll see those futures odds that we show. National championship. Um, all, there'll be all sorts of different things as we get close to the season. They got them all. Like, this is not hypothetical. It's not what the model says. It's FanDuel literally offering those for you to bet on right now. So you go over there, and right now, you know, obviously we don't have football going on. You got basketball going on. Opening day in the majors. Pitchers and catchers have reported not too far around the corner. Bet $5, get $150 in free bonus bets. Guaranteed. FanDuel. Really appreciate them. I know I've spoken to you at length about some of the exciting initiatives we are taking with them this upcoming year. So I won't bore you with that, but it's going to happen. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800 800- 327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. All right, lastly, before we get out of here, very interesting question. Adam from Greer, South Carolina said, with Marvin Harrison Jr. now gone to the NFL, who are the best returning wide receivers in college football? Well, I'll stay at Ohio State. Emeka Egbuka, former five-star guy, uh, you know, does not have five-star stat lines thus far. Last year, for example, 41 catches for a little over 500 yards, four touchdowns. But when you look at the pantheon of guys who have come through there, Harrison Jr. most recently, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Olave, uh, Garrett Wilson, he should be the next one. It should be a year where he goes for over 1,000. And it should be Chip Kelly coming in there and making Emeka Egbuka a central part of his passing game. That should be the next guy up in Columbus, Ohio. Should be looking at him. I'm absolutely looking at Trey Harris down at Ole Miss, uh, 54 for 985 and eight touchdowns last year. Really good technician, really good route runner, really good hands, a great talent around him. One of the most lethal receiver rooms in the country 
Trey Harris is a part of. It's another year with Jackson Dart at quarterback. It's another year in Lane Kiffin's offense. I, I know the video game's coming back this fall, but if it wasn't, you would get something very similar by just watching Ole Miss's offense and what they do this year. I'll go to Oregon for a second because I got two names out there. Evan Stewart just transferred there from Texas A&M, and Tez Johnson's out there. Johnson had over 1,100, nearly 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns last year, had 172 in the bowl game. Evan Stewart, like many other offensive pieces at Texas A&M, underachieved relative to their ability level last year. So he gets plugged into an offense this year where if he underachieves, it's probably on him because he'll be put in perfect position. He'll be surrounded by the right folks. He's got the right guy up there in Will Stein calling the plays. Got Dylan Gabriel, both of them do, transferring in at quarterback to throw it to him. That may be the best one-two. I don't know. I'll, I'll open the floor for debate on that. Easily one of the best one-twos at wide receiver in college football this year in Evan Stewart and Tez Johnson. What about Luther Burden? Second time he's gotten a mention on the show tonight. That's the player up there at Missouri, the player. That's what Bill Parcells used to call Terrell Owens, the player. 5-11-208. Do you realize last year Luther Burden had 10 games where he had at least one 25-plus yard catch? That's getting it done. I believe Meemaw would call that a vertical threat. Believe it or not, Meemaw's term. Five-plus talent, five-star talent very easily. Also gets Brady Cook at wide receiver back again this year. And uh, sky's the limit on him, man. They, they at Missouri are prioritizing keeping guys like that home, both in high school and then through the portal, or, or making sure they don't go in the portal. So that's a guy to watch this year. And also, I mentioned this guy earlier too, Tet McMillan. We are easily shortening his last or his first name to Tet. Tet McMillan at Arizona had 90 catches over 1,400 yards receiving last year. Just a monster in Arizona's offense, 6'5", 210. So he's also a, a literal monster, just physically. Keeps Noah Fafita. Those two both stayed at Arizona through the coaching transition. He's a huge target in every sense of the word in a very pass-happy offense. So he should have another huge year this year. And honestly, he doesn't even need to meet last year's numbers to have a huge year. Could have some Roma Dunze vibes to him this upcoming season. So Ebuka, Trey Harris, Evan Stewart, Tess Johnson, Luther Burden, Tech McMillan, those are some of the names I have my eye on. How about a nice, compact show tonight right inside an hour? Listen, appreciate you watching. Appreciate you listening. Don't ever let anyone tell you there's nothing to talk about because we got a metric ton of stuff to talk about. We got a Late Kick Extra podcast coming up this week. We'll be live again on Thursday night. Just need you subscribing to the channel on YouTube and subscribing to the podcast and, you know, liking the videos. That helps too. But subscribe, 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 and get 10 friends to do it as well. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 
Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.